you may know Christ and you may know the gospel and you may know theology, but there could still be a clumsiness to your Christianity. There could still be one bad decision after another. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs, a 12-part study in the book of Proverbs from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul continues in the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter one as his text for both today and tomorrow. This is a memorable, principle-giving part of the book's introduction. It condenses within seven verses what's going to follow throughout the 31 chapters of this great book. King Solomon did not write all 31 chapters, some of which have been credited to Agur and Lemuel, but he appears to have led the way in compiling this collection of both warnings and promises concerning the gray areas of life. Indeed, as we've already heard, a Christian who has guidance from the Holy Spirit can be simple-minded and naive about gray areas to which many of the Proverbs point. We have here before us a primer for help with day-to-day decisions and interactions, but only if we are actively seeking wisdom concerning them. Verse 7 states the major theme of the book of Proverbs, quote, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, end quote. Here now, part two of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs. You read a proverb about money and the very next proverb is about friendships and the next proverb is about work. And it's not that they're not connected, but Solomon understands that as you make one good or bad decision in one area, it affects many other areas of your life. You can't keep folly contained to one sphere. You can't keep good decisions contained to one sphere, but they always bleed over. And so if you pursue the path of folly, It starts to affect everything you do, and sooner or later it becomes sin. There is a tight relationship between right living and wisdom, between sinful living and folly, like a domino effect. One leads to the next. And so it is vitally important that we seize hold of the truths of the gospel, that we rehearse the truths of the gospel every week. It is also vitally important that we know sound doctrine. We understand how the gospel fleshes itself out in every area of life. But it is also so important that we as God's people pursue wisdom, that we pursue skillful living, that there is in our lives an ongoing, sustained pursuit of excellence. So, With all of that said, let's look at the introduction to the book and glean just five principles for pursuing excellence. The five principles will outline just according to the main verbs in two through seven. The first one is to know. Solomon says to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. It's a simple observation. 
that in order to apply wisdom, in order to live out a life that exudes wisdom, you must first know wisdom. You must first acquire it. But notice, this is more than just mere information gathering. This is more than simply collecting the facts. Friend, you can have all of the information in the world and still be a fool. It implies study. Look at the second half of the verse, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. It implies that on the part of the student, there is some degree of contemplation of the wisdom. It's not simply reading it, it's not simply collecting it, but we're engaging with the material. We're internalizing it, gathering up and taking ownership of it. It is to know it and to possess it with conviction. Proverbs chapter 2 expands on this very thought. You can look there with me briefly. My son, if you receive my words, you treasure up my commandments. You make your ear attentive. You incline your heart if you call out for insight and you raise your voice to it. There is a desperation that the father wants the son to have in his pursuit of wisdom. You are to receive it and to treasure it like a precious stone. Incline your ear and cry out for it. To live with excellence, you must take responsibility for the information in this book. The Proverbs need to be more than just data, but they have to become your own personal convictions. As I think about that concept, I'm reminded of my very first week in military training. My very first week, I showed up like a rabbit in headlights. I had no idea what was happening, just like every other person that I joined with. And that first week was a steep learning curve, to say the least. In the first few days, of course, we were issued our uniforms. And then we had our very first session on the parade ground. And we must have stood on that parade ground as a division for hours. And we stood there at attention, and a drill sergeant would come around and he inspected every man on that parade ground. He stood inches from your face and he inspected you for maybe 15, 20 minutes each. And he would look at your shoes and he wanted to make sure that your shoes were like glass, that he could see his face in them. Your trousers had one crisp crease in them, and your shirt as well, no train tracks allowed, just one crease down the sleeve. He would make sure that you were clean-shaven, and then he got to, to the cap, the hat that we had to wear. And by the time he got there in my inspection, I thought, okay, I've got through this now. Because on the front of the cap was a, a badge. It was a crown with a wreath around it, and it was brand new, of course. It had just been issued to me, so it was very, very shiny. And I thought, he won't find fault with my cap. At that point, he said to me, take off your cap. So I took off my cap, and he looked inside with me. And on the inside, there was this long pin that simply was there to keep the, the badge in its place. Now, I hadn't given a second thought to the pin. It was just a dull old pin in order to locate the, the badge. And he said to me, why didn't you polish the pin? Now, to be sure, I know he did not care whether I had polished that pin or not. 
but he wanted to raise the standard of every man on that parade ground. He wanted the standards of the establishment to become our own personal standards. He wanted the standards of the establishment to become our own convictions. And that is the sense of this very first principle. And it flies in the face of the information age in which we live. You see, we have more data at our disposal than ever before. In a second, we can look up the answer to any question. Everyone's best friend is Siri. The problem being that the abundance of information that we have becomes the enemy of understanding. Because we have the what so readily available to us, we are never prompted to ask the question, why? We might know how to get knowledge, but we don't know any longer how to own it and how to internalize it. It requires discipline. The pursuit of excellence requires discipline. It requires a sustained, steadfast look at this book. It requires long, laborious hours meditating on God's word to know exactly what he means when he talks about skillful living. Proverbs 22 says how pleasing it would be to have all of these proverbs on your lips, which seems to imply to me some degree of memorization of these words, because it, it starts to seep into here when you're forcing it into here. All of which to say you may know Christ, and you may know the gospel, and you may know theology, but there could still be a clumsiness to your Christianity. There could still be one bad decision after another. I'm not talking about gross manifestations of sin. I'm talking about one poor choice after another. Folly. If that is what characterizes your Christianity, then it may be that you have not taken even the first step towards the pursuit of excellence. The first step is simply to know. The second, verse 3, is to receive. To receive. Verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now, it's the teacher-student relationship that is in view here. The student of this book must be ready to receive instruction. The word instruction could aptly be translated as discipline or chastening. It talks about the idea of, of training. It will often involve a rebuke or a correction. To harness wisdom, you must be willing to receive instruction, and that instruction may not be all that easy to hear. It therefore implies humility. Picture the scene. Solomon is sat on his throne. Kneeling before him is his son. The whole of the royal court is gathered in, eavesdropping. They want to hear what Solomon has to say as he passes on words of wisdom to his son. There is perhaps one thing that will ruin that time of instruction. There is perhaps one thing above all other things that would mean that Solomon's efforts that day as he seeks to pass on wisdom to his son would be utterly wasted. And that simply is pride 
in the young man's heart. It is an unwillingness on his part to hear what his father has to say. Indeed, as you work through the book of Proverbs, what you see time and time again is that the greatest enemy to successful application of wisdom is always pride, a belief that you have it all figured out. The fool in Proverbs is fixed on the correctness of his own opinion. The fool in Proverbs has no room for the possibility that someone else might be right. Like a metronome, ticking away, never missing a beat, so the fool considers that every decision he has ever made, he always made the right decision. Chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. 1522, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Again, 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. The pursuit of excellence involves a willingness to submit to the teaching of others. And notice that that relational nature to this pursuit from teacher to student is extended. It goes out to the community when we look at the character of the wisdom that is being passed on. Solomon says to receive instruction in wise dealing, and then he says in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now Solomon is not simply just piling up terms here for effect. What he's doing is that he's qualifying the nature of the wise dealing. To receive instruction in wise dealing, well, Arguably, there is a kind of wise dealing that looks after self. There is a kind of wise dealing that only ever thinks about number one. And Solomon is sure to qualify the wise dealing by saying, it is wise dealing which, when lived out, brings about righteousness and justice and equity. And in the book of Proverbs and indeed in the Old Testament, these are terms that very much have the community in view. Those around you will benefit from your wise living. Those who, who are in your life will be a priority as you seek to live skillfully. What that means is that it makes the pursuit of excellence a joint endeavor, a plural endeavor, a community endeavor. It can never be a lone event to pursue excellence. The student, first and foremost, must receive wisdom from the teacher. He must be willing to submit himself in all humility and receive instruction. And then as he seeks to apply that instruction, it is always with the benefit of those around him. The pursuit of excellence always locates you in relationships. It means you're willing to play your part in the community. It means you show up. When the community gathers, you show up and you show up with the assumption that you have something to learn. You show up with the assumption that you have something to learn. And then you seek to live so as to profit those around you. I think maybe the most vivid picture I've seen of this was in this room, maybe 
around this time last year. It was at the Shepherds Conference. And for one of the main sessions, I was sat just around about here. And I remember very clearly looking across the front row. And on the front row were all of the main session speakers for the week. These are men who know the Bible, they know theology, and we would say they're pretty wise. They know skillful living. And what struck me is that in that main session, as I looked across, every single one, without exception, had a notebook and was furiously scribbling. They had all of them shown up with the assumption that they had something to learn. And then, after the session was over, all of them stayed for, for some hours, willing to talk to anybody that wanted to talk to them, to be of any benefit they could to conference attendees. There was a relational humility that marked them. If we are to pursue excellence, then we must be marked by relational humility. That is a willingness to receive correction and to act so as to benefit others. That is the second principle. The third, verse four, is to give. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now here, we've changed perspective. So if in verse three, the student-teacher relationship was in view with the, the student receiving In verse 4, it's that same relationship, but now looking at it from the perspective of the teacher, and so the teacher gives. He gives prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. And if indeed Solomon is setting up the mechanics of this book in these first few verses, is if he is telling us this is how the Proverbs operate, then as we think through how to apply this introduction in our church, One logical outworking of this principle is simply to say that as we pursue excellence, there must be a passing on of what we've learned. There must be a a desire to teach others, or you might even say to disciple. Now, that doesn't mean that we should all of us aspire to teach in some kind of formal capacity. The New Testament gives warnings against such desires. But it is fair to say that if we do belong to the community, then at some point it would be appropriate to exert influence on those around you. At some point it is right and proper that you pass on what you have learned. This principle highlights the responsibility that we have towards the young people in our church. Did you notice who's in view in this verse? It says, to give prudence to the simple. Now, there are many characters in the narrative of Proverbs. The simple is one of them. The the son is another. The fool is another. Lady wisdom, lady folly, the mother and the father. There are many different characters in the narrative of Proverbs. The simple is not the fool. The two are different. The fool consciously rejects wisdom. We can see that at the end of our text, at the end of verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fool knowingly and intentionally turns his back on the wisdom that is given. That is not the idea of the simple who is in view in verse 4. 
the simple, by contrast, you would describe simply as being naive. The simple is gullible. The simple is easily led astray. He doesn't know any better. Now, the simple, he is malleable. He is capable of being shaped. He is capable of being formed by wisdom, but he is young. He lacks sense. He is not shrewd. He is not wise. He is weak-willed, and he is easily seduced. And so what that does is it puts this young, simple man in a position of great danger. If you read through the first nine chapters of Proverbs, what you see is that the simple man keeps coming into view. And every time there are two competing worldviews who are crying out for his allegiance. There is the worldview of wisdom and there is the worldview of folly. And right towards the end of the extended introduction, chapter 9, we see the two come together, and sure enough, it's happening again. Lady Wisdom is crying out to the simple, come in here. Come into my house and choose the good path. Make a good choice and live. And then to contrast is Lady Folly. And she shouts exactly the same plea. Come in here. And the the allure of folly is quick returns. It is fast gains. It is immediate gratification. But the end is always death. And so the simple man has a decision to make. Proverbs doesn't hide. He has to make a choice. The problem is he stands in a position of vulnerability. He's not equipped to make a good decision. He is incredibly impressionable. He is easily swayed. He doesn't have the wisdom to choose wisdom. According to the logic of Proverbs, as we see it in chapter 1, verse 4, We have a moral responsibility to train up the younger generation in the pursuit of wisdom. Of course, we must teach them the gospel as of first importance. And we rehearse the gospel with our young people over and over again. And yes, absolutely, we teach our young people sound doctrine. We build out the gospel and we give it legs and we explain all of the implications that flow out from the cross. But that doesn't mean that we neglect the training up of our young people in the area of wisdom. We must give our attention to the gray areas. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Pastor Paul explains that Excellence is a thoroughly Christian virtue. It pleases God when we strive for excellence because it reflects His character. Excellence is not free for the taking, however, just like it's not free when we pursue skills like languages, mastering a sport, or even preaching the gospel. Christians have the benefit of the Holy Spirit and Scripture, and they will point us to ways we learn to navigate our lives in holy, honorable living. Proverbs, as well as other Old Testament books like the Psalms, are a roadmap for New Covenant believers to righteous living. 
If you want to learn more about following godliness down life's pathways, come to TimelessTruthToday.org. That's our website, TimelessTruthToday.org. Select Broadcasts, and there you'll find an abundance of teaching to help you. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. This weekend, if you don't have a home church, you're invited to come worship with us on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Join us on Monday for part three of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs from Pastor Paul Twiss. I'm Matt Williams. Have a great weekend and thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.